iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. How's everybody doing tonight? Seriously, I got one guy that said good. I said, how's everybody doing tonight? There we go. That's what we're looking for. All right, wonderful. Well, we're right in the middle of Tribeca. Very exciting time for us. We do this every year. Every year we partner up with IndieWire, which we're very excited about. Uh, but here to tell you a little more about what IndieWire is, who they are, what they do, we have our friend Basil. So, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Basil from IndieWire. Thanks a lot. Uh, so as Matt said, uh, we, we partner with uh, the Apple Store Soho for these events, uh, each Tribeca. Uh, we're nearing the end. Uh, the, the talks will continue until this uh, this weekend. Um, we're very, very happy to have with us today um, Neil Jordan, obviously. Um, but before we get to bringing him and the moderator, Ann Thompson, from Thompson on Hollywood out, I'll tell you a little bit more about IndieWire. Um, IndieWire is a website that's uh, dedicated to independent film. It's a news website that reports on developments in independent film, film festival reports, box office reports, uh, features on uh, up-and-coming film, uh, filmmakers and actors, etc. You should check it out, IndieWire.com. Um, we're going to start the evening with the trailer of the film um, on, on, on Dean, um, and then move on over to introduce uh, the moderator and Neil Jordan to have the conversation over here. So enjoy the trailer for on Dean. Once upon a time. Does it always have to be once upon a time? There was a fisherman. He was pulling in his nets. Was she a mermaid? No. Was she a selkie then? What's a selkie? She comes out of the sea, lives on land. My name's Sarah Kusen. I've been sober two years. This is where they all clap. Why don't you see that in the movies? They go in here, sir. Is that illegal? No, but it's unusual. I stole some lady's clothes. I don't like this at all. They were for this girl I met. Thank you. What's the story? She sings to the fishes and he catches them. You bring me luck. That would be silk. How long are you staying? Depends on you. It depends on me. You can stay forever. I'm Undine. Undine. What's it mean? She came from the water. I'm examining it for webs. Selkie women. She stays seven years on land. Unless the selkie husband claims her back. What kind of stories are you spinning? You're a secret. You think? I know. You don't like the dress? It's just tied around the edges. You have edges? Someone was looking for her. Who? A man. The seas bitch out. We don't belong here. It's our secret. We tell nobody. What's wrong with being seen? It doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Your kind and my kind. We don't belong together. What are you doing? I'm afraid, Father. Misery is easy. Happiness you have to walk at. Get rid of her. I don't want you to go. I. Andy! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome director Neil Jordan and this evening's guest moderator, Ann Thompson of Thompson on Hollywood. Hi. Hello. I'm going to assume that you all know Neil Jordan, that you know that he is one of the filmmakers most 
admired in in the world. I I, I mean that very sincerely because he's made The Crying Game, uh, the movie that won the Oscar for screenplay, and he was directed. Uh, he was nominated for director for that as well. And the list is very very long. From uh, Interview with a Vampire, Michael Collins, The Butcher Boy, In Dreams. And uh, one of my favorites, Breakfast on Pluto, and The Brave One with Jodie Foster. And this movie seems to be very much of a Neil Jordan movie, very much of something that you've made the way you want to make it, without any compromises. Yeah, yeah, no, there were no compromises, you know. But um, the older you get, the less compromises you make. And I'm very old, I'm 60 years old, so... It's not worth making compromises anymore, believe me. It was a very sweet film to make. It was lovely. Um, it was a lot of the Irish movies I've made have been about brutality and upset and political violence and things like that. And uh, I really just welcomed the chance of make to make something that was uh, forgiving in a way, you know, and that was warm and melting and had a happy ending. Well, it's a fairy tale and it's a romance, and you've dealt in the realm of mythology and legends in, in the past. How did this come to you that you wanted to do this particular subject? I just had this, this image of which you've seen on the trailer of a, a, a girl coming out of the water in a net. <laughs> you know, I wanted to put a really pretty girl in a net and dump her in the water and pull her out again, basically. No, it's, I just had this image of a fisherman pulling this girl by accident, not knowing whether she was dead or alive, and. Um, I said, what's this? Is this a fairy tale? Is it a horror movie? Is it, you know, what is it? And then I began to write it and the girl came alive and vomited up bile and stuff like that. And I said, oh, maybe it's a fairy tale. And then I wrote the scene where he, uh, Colin Farrell plays a character called Syracuse who's got a daughter who's got dialysis. And as she goes through dialysis, he, tell, he invents stories and he invents the story. He tells her the story of what happened that day in terms of a fairy tale. And she begins to interpret it as a Selkie legend. So it became what it was. So we know Colin Farrell, but you've never worked with him before, which is sort of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. He's, he became a big star. He was too expensive, you know. I had to wait till he got cheap again. <laughs> no, it's not, I don't, that's not true. It, I had produced a movie that he, he was in called Intermission. It got a very small release. Did anybody see Intermission? Excellent movie. Yeah? Okay. I was one of the producers on that, and uh, I got to know Colin then, and since he made that movie, we've been trying to work together ever since. It's about seven years ago, and um, it never really worked out. But when I'd finished the script, I mean, he was in my mind when I was writing it. Uh, you know, this uh, kind of stoic rather inarticulate character and um, when I finished it I wasn't sure whether the script was any good or like most writers when you finish something you don't know what you've done so I sent it to Colin and he said he loved it and he said he wanted to do it immediately so we got that, that we finally got a chance to work together and that's presumably how you were able to get it financed and put together yes I think so yeah I mean um, yeah once he said he wanted to do it and I suppose you know it, it, and it wasn't too expensive it, it fell into place you know uh, there was a bit of pressure to cast somebody well known as the uh, the woman he pulls out of the water, the Selkie Undine character, but I went for an unknown. So in the end, Colin's reputation and his commitment were enough to get it made. And Ash Alicia Blaschleda is a Polish actress who is in a movie called Trade. Is that where you had seen her? That's where I saw her. Yeah. Well, actually, she she came. I I, uh, I needed to cast an Eastern European. The roots of the character are Eastern European, so. I saw a lot of Eastern European actresses, and uh, 
mainly when they're cast in English language mu movies, they end up playing parts of women who were sold into the sex trade for some reason or other. And among them was Alicia, you know, and she, the only movie, English language movie she'd made was called Trade, you know, about a woman who was sold into the sex trade. So, but she's, she had this wonderful quality, wonderful animalistic quality that I wanted to the movie is, is also telling a story inside a story, as he tells the story of, of the movie. And you, you actually play around quite a bit with the narrative structure. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, he tells a story to his daughter, and she says, you're a shite storyteller, because which, which he, he doesn't know whether it's a fairy tale or not. He's making up a story or a fiction about the woman he's pulled out of the water. The little girl interprets it in a very specific way. She goes to a library, gets books out on selkies and all this sort of stuff, and she decides what this woman is, you know? And she then tells him every feature of the legend that this woman should adhere to. And not only that, but she tells the woman herself. She sneaks around to where she is and sees her coming out of the water, and she tells her, you know, what the mores of her character should be. So it's kind of complicated, but it's, it's also simple. You know, it's, it's not a meta-narrative, or is that what they're called, is it? Right. Yeah, it's not yeah. quite that. No, it doesn't come off that way at all. It's very accessible. Um, it's, it's very sweet, and it's very beautiful. You shot in a very exotic location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Christopher um, Doyle, the great cinematographer. Christopher Doyle, yeah, Christopher. Uh, there's, um, I have a house in the west of, uh, southwest of Ireland, a place called the Bera Peninsula. And actually, this was a, when I wrote the story, I wrote it about all these different places that were within a five-mile radius of that house. Uh, and I really, one of the main reasons I wanted to make the film was because there's a kind of, um, there's a kind of a beauty and a, almost like a racial memory in the Irish landscape that is rapidly being forgotten, you know? And I wanted to capture it in film quite simply and selfishly. Now you, when you started your career, um, you, you made small films and then you came to Hollywood and, and Crying Game was just such a huge, huge breakout and then you worked on, on Interview with a Vampire and, and you seem to have uh, left Hollywood behind. What is, what is your feeling about working in Hollywood now and how difficult it is and what it can do to filmmakers? I've always found Hollywood fine, you know, I mean, they... I think when I started making films in the 80s, they were making an enormous amount of movies, you know? So they forgave you everything, in a way, because they needed people to make films for them, you know? It's, the landscape there has changed so totally, I find it hard to talk about it. I'm not sure I am the person to talk about it, you know, because I always just did my own thing, really. If I was asked to make a big Hollywood movie and I, it challenged me in some way, I made it, you know? And if then I would, if I'd have an idea for a small Irish or a small British movie, I would make it, you know what I mean? But um, it's definitely a different place now. It's totally different. The recession has changed it and 3D is changing it. And the big critical thing is the challenges of distribution of the kinds of films that I used to make. <laughs> for everyone these days. So you've gone and you're working on a project at Showtime, which is actually something that a lot of people are doing now. That's where the smart writing and the smart directing is taking place. Can you talk about, the, what is it, the Borgias? Yeah, there was a film I wanted to make about, um, which I asked, actually asked Colin Farrell to be in. Uh, it was written about the most corrupt pope that ever lived. His name was Rodrigo Borgia. And uh, we couldn't get the finance together for it. And then DreamWorks, they looked at it again and said, why don't you make it as a, as a cable series? Uh, and I began doing that. I began writing it and expanding it. And suddenly, I thought, this is rather magnificent, you know? 
you don't expand in terms of you can't expand your palette in terms of the uh, amount of stuff you can put on the screen, but in terms of the characterization and the storytelling, you can stretch it out endlessly, it seems. But I haven't done it. I've, I've just begun doing it. I've just, they're building sets in Budapest at the moment. So you're going to have to finish it. It's, it's, it's 10 hours or something, right? No, it's about 40 hours, I think. You know? I mean, they do it in seasons, don't they? It's like, you, you know, the Sopranos and the, you know, Mad Men and Dexter and the Tudors. They, they, do, they commission 10 initially. And if they're happy with that experience, I think they do the rest, you know. So, I mean, we, I haven't started shooting it, but it's a new form of storytelling. And to me, it's extraordinary the freedom that, um, that uh, one is given and the subject matters that this medium and these people who run these cable stations seem to be interested in, you know. It's, it would have been cool to see Michael Collins done in such a way. I mean, you had to cram a lot of history into, into a very short uh, period of time. Yes, it would have been interesting to do that. But I think Michael Collins was a movie, you know. I mean, I needed to blow up Dublin, half of Dublin for that film, you know. I don't think you can afford to do that in, in cable shows. So, um, yeah, you wouldn't have gotten that same. Now, now, you also, so Chris Doyle, talk about working with the, the cinematographer uh, on this. There's a, there's a guy called Christopher Doyle. He was born in, um, in uh, Australia. He moved for strange reasons to China and to Hong Kong, and he did all those wonderful Wong Kar Wai movies. He did a lot of Kung Fu movies. Uh, he did, um, I've admired his work for many years, and uh, I wouldn't have thought he was uh, a first choice for this kind of subject matter, you know? But I inquired about him, and he called me up, and he says, what took you so long, mate? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this kid's an interesting guy. But he's, uh, he's, got a particular, he's, he's got a particular relationship with the image, you know, and with film and with the lens and with stocks and with shutter speeds and frame rates and all that sort of stuff. So he devised a way of almost getting the camera just to sit on top of the water for this entire movie, you know. And now, are you ever going to make the horror movie that was written by the son of Stephen King? Is that ever going to happen? Well, I, the, the, I made this movie when the writer strike happened, and you know, so it's a script that's sitting there. I'd love to make it. If, if, What's uh, it called? The Heart Shaped Box. It's called Heart Shaped Box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a and is a, there? I'm sorry. Is there anything else that you're working on now besides? Uh, At the moment, any I'm working movies? on a film called The Graveyard Book. It's a Neil Gaiman uh, novel that is uh, quite an expensive film. You know, it's um, but maybe I will know before the end of the month whether or not we have the budget to make it or not. Excellent, excellent. Now you reference um, Alice in Wonderland with this line, curiouser and curiouser. So is this, is this an homage to, to Alice in Wonderland, this movie? No, no, Alice in, is, Alice in Wonderland is a little girl's book, isn't it, Shirley? And it's, um, you know, the girl is a precocious reader. I always felt the character that Colin played didn't know how to read and write but kept it a secret. But his daughter goes to school and, you know, she's a voracious appetite for stuff, you know, so she's read that book. I always love the phrase, curious and curiouser. You guys must have questions uh, for Mr. Jordan um, in the back. Did I, did I hear correctly that the little girl had dialysis? Yeah, yes. What, why, uh, my brother was on dialysis for 15 years. Why, why did you uh, choose to have the character... Uh, I have need for dialysis. Well, it, it becomes a pivotal point in the plot later on. 
And a friend of mine, his daughter was on dialysis for many, many years. And uh, I remember seeing the process and how long it took and how painful it is. So I, I just decided to make it part of the story. Anyone else have a question? Hello. I got two questions. Um, how much do you stay on the book when you're in production? And how much do you leave the door open? I can't hear you, sorry. How much do you stay on the book yeah. when you're doing production? And how much do you leave the door open and, and see what sprungs in the moment? On the book, you mean on the script? On the or? script, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. The films, that, yeah, the films that I make tend to be heavily written, you know? Maybe that's because I'm a writer, you know? But it's not... I'm not, I'm not uh, if actors try to improvise the lines that I've written, it, it, they, 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 they can't seem to do it because I suppose my dialogue is maybe not naturalistic normally or maybe the characters are trying to express things that are difficult to improvise, you know? But I generally, uh, I generally, try to, I generally know exactly what I want to see and what I want to shoot, you know what I mean? And um, uh, it's, it's, very hard, it's very hard to describe how you direct something because I've, I've never seen anyone else direct. The only other person I've seen direct a movie is John Borman, you know, and because, but um, it's an activity that you, you, that other people, you know, directors rarely see each other at work. So I don't know how other people direct. I just know what I do. Okay. And um, the last one is, uh, how close are you to Colin or your actors? Is the... Uh is it advantageous to have a personal relationship, or is it uh, important to keep a distance? How do you, how do you differentiate? I that? get very close to actors. I love I love working with actors. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the one thing I'd miss if uh, I was told I could never make a film again in my life. You know, I would miss the camera and I would miss the relationship one has with actors. You know, because um, it's such a thrilling thing to conceive of a character, and. You don't know whether the character has any independent life or not, but when an actor, a great actor like Colin takes hold of it, you suddenly see, my God, this thing lives, you know? This person is alive, and I love that relationship. So I get very close to them. But I don't marry them. Okay. <laughs> Smart move. Hi. Um, can you talk a little bit about your, your rewriting process and how you come to see value in certain aspects of your script and like how you know how to you know, take this, leave okay. this behind? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very selfish with rehearsal, you know. It's like, um, I think a lot of directors use rehearsal to explore the characters, you know, and the beats of the acting and stuff like that. I use them purely as rewriting opportunities, you know. And I use them, I kind of, I, I want the actors to go through the lines, the characters, and if there's something unexpressed, you know, I immediately sit down and rewrite the scene. You know, that's how I use the, the rehearsal process. And so I'm constantly writing all the time. I'm shooting as well, you know, if, because uh, every scene has a, and every shot, you know, has an ideal uh, expression of itself, you know, and it doesn't always find it. And I use the act of writing as a way of finding that, you know. One way over here on the far side in the front, over here. When you're making a film, right? I was curious as to like the actors and do you follow do you follow like a script, a some kind of definite script that you have already planned? I have always wondered this. Or like do you just like kind of let the actors um 
say what they want, like feel them, whatever's happening. No, 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 no. I write, I write them. I, I just said that. I, I write uh, to a fault, you know? And uh, I, I, actors find the dialogue, the kinds of dialogues I write very difficult to improvise, you know? So that, that's, that's critical to the way I do things. Yeah. Thanks. In case we were wondering. Okay. Glad to hear you're doing uh, the Borges. Um, as you know, the BBC famously made a disastrous attempt at it in the 80s. Yeah, did you see it? So, did you? Yeah, so I'm glad you're getting the chance to put that right. <laughs> did I also hear a rumour that you were maybe working on, maybe doing I, Claudius? No, not me. No, no, my God. No, 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 no. no. Would, you, would you consider it? No, 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 no. And the only reason I'm doing the Borges is because it was such a wonderful story and um, this opportunity presented, to me, presented itself to me and uh, um, I'd never thought of working in that kind of format before ever. But uh, I, Claudius was quite, quite wonderful, wasn't it? If you, see, if you watch it again, it's very stage-bound. It's very cleverly made, you know? And very cleverly written, too, actually. It is. Wait, here in the back. Next question. Uh, do you go to the movies? And if you do go to the movies, uh, what is the last movie you saw uh, that wasn't yours? And did you like it? Yeah, I go to the movies all the time. All the time. I try to bring my kids to the movies. They never want to go. It's extraordinary. If my parents had wanted to bring me to the movies and said, please come to a movie on Saturday afternoon, I would have jumped at the chance. But the last movie I saw was Ghost by Roman Polanski. I saw it in Dublin uh, about four days ago. Okay? But I go all the time. I do. How do you feel about the new distribution methods that are going to be used on your movie? Um, I mean, it's going to go out May 7th on VOD and, and mm -hmm. Amazon and on Xbox mm -hmm. before it gets into the theaters. I know. It's, it's, it's a new journey, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a new model for releasing movies, you know, but the old model is, is broken in some way. So, you know, I'm very curious to see how it works, and Magnolia is a great company, but it's new territory for me. But do you feel strongly about wanting people to see it on the big screen? Yeah, totally. I mean, why would you photograph that stuff if you didn't want to project it? It is gorgeous, it? I must tell you. I, I hope you do see it on the big screen. How many of you have already seen it? How many of you saw it? Okay, it was at Tribeca yesterday. Go ahead with the next question. Actually, way over here, way in the back again. What's your take on uh, video versus uh, film? Say it again, sorry? What's video your take versus on video film? versus film? You mean video, you mean digital? Yeah. Uh, I've never used digital cameras. I've looked at them. Um, I've known nothing about them. Sorry. I like film cameras. And uh, I like the whir of that shutter, you know? And I like the flicker of a projector, too, actually. You know, the fact that it's, you know, it's projected light, really. But, you know, I will have to use them soon. So I'll have to learn all about them. Okay, back here. Hi. Um, your movies are so lyrical, so I was wondering about your relationship to music and how much you involve yourself in the selection of music for your movies. Okay, okay. This, the score for this film was done by a, an Icelandic band called Sigur Ross. Does anybody know them? Yeah? Okay. And uh, the idea of a song was central to the story. Uh, Alicia, the girl that he pulls out of his net, sings this song. To him, to herself, and to the sea, and to anybody who passes her, and he misinterprets it in a magical kind of way. He thinks it's some kind of magical song, and halfway through the, should I tell a plot? Yeah. What's wrong? I love telling plots. Halfway, but through towards the way through the movie, his, his daughter is playing, you know, uh, a TV show, and he hears the same song. He realizes the song actually is real, 
you know? And it's, so it had a pivotal position in the movie, and I wanted to use Sigurós's music for the film because at the, the last few films I've made, I'd, li I'd like to exper experiment with non-traditional scores, you know? So, uh, you know, they allowed me to use their music, and their keyboard player, Kjartan Severinsen, uh, composed the score. Okay. Did you grow up with this myth, and was it powerful in your life as a child? No, 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 no. Just made it up. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, it's like. Well, no, I mean, it, it, no, but the idea of the sea is like, you know, it's like the subconscious, isn't it? There's always stuff under there you don't know what it is, and it's uh, very seaweedy, isn't it? And, and mysterious and womanish, you know. All right, well, another here question. On your extreme left, right okay. here. Okay. Uh, you spoke a little bit about working with the uh, director of photography, Christopher Doyle, and I was wondering about the process of coming up with the storyboard, the shot list, whether or not you wanted to have a strong hand in that, or if you took a step back and kind of allowed Christopher to come up with the look of the film, the lighting design, and then kind of took over from there in terms of the acting. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, okay, well, I mean, with Chris, someone like, with a lighting cameraman in general, you have to work very closely. With this, we had to assume an app, we had to assume an, you know a very aggressive idea. We had to get, take a very aggressive attitude towards the photography. It was the kind of story that could have been made very twee, you know, could have been taken a lot of. You could have used a lot of digital interference, you know, could have kind of tried to prettify a town or make it fantastic in some way. I said to Chris, "Look, we want to photograph this movie." and see will the landscape and these real environments themselves give up the sense of enchantment themselves without us interfering with them in any way, yeah? And uh, he understood what I was talking about and, you know, we made a few critical decisions that, that made that possible. One of them was to shoot day for night, actually. We didn't shoot night, night and, you know, the choice of stocks, he does a lot of testing and stuff like that. And the other was to, there's a lot of underwater photography in this. You know, we didn't use a tank. We went right into the sea with our cameras and with our actors and stuff like that. So it all adds to a, it all adds to a very specific texture to the film. But it's very hard to describe how one arrives at it. You know, he handheld a lot of the camera himself. Yeah. He went in with the camera himself, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we a lot of a lot of the scenes were shot were shot on a fishing boat. Now, normally, if you're shooting a scenes on a boat like that in the sea, you have all these support vessels, or you'd have you know other boats with camera cranes on them and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, for one of the pivot, one of the first scenes of the movie, I said to Christopher, "Look, let's just go out into the water and into the deep water where the swells are huge. Yeah, and just let's do a scene and find it, strap you to the back of the boat and see what happens. Yeah, okay." What happens is the landscape moves up and down and up and down and everyone gets drenched in spray and wet and Doyle himself gets drowned and there's water crashing over the lens and all that sort of stuff. But it gives you a photographic quality that you could not achieve any other way, you know? So that's the way we approach the movie from then on. Yeah. Uh, hi, I have uh, two questions, if you don't mind. Um, my first question is, how do you think this film compares to your previous works in terms of topics and experience of filming and overall? And my second question is, how important is being Irish to you and what do you think distinguishes the Irish film identity? What I think is what, sorry? The, the Irish what do what? you think distinguishes the Irish film identity? What do I think is Irish film identity? Distinguishes. Oh, distinguishes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
Okay, this film is most similar to two other movies I made. One was called Company of Wolves. I made that in 1982. And the other is a movie that almost nobody has seen called The Miracle, you know? Uh, I don't know when that was made. Nine, I don't know when it was made. I forget, actually. But that's a movie nobody saw. Absolutely nobody. And uh, I shot that in the house I lived in at the time. It had the same intimate relationship to a landscape and to a place and to a set of emotions, you know? What is the Irish identity on film? I, I don't know. I really don't know. Is being Irish important to me? It's just a series of puzzles to me, you know, being Irish, you know, as I'm sure it is being American, you know, a series of weird questions. You wonder, what does it mean? How did I, how did I arrive at who I am and stuff like that, you know? Right here in the third row. How are you? Uh, what Hi. is it like to take an excellent novelist such as Pat McCabe, translate his images onto film and also work with Gavin Friday? Are you talking about Breakfast on Pluto? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting, actually, because the movie is nothing like the book, you know? And um, that was a particular... I had done another one of Pat's books called The Butcher Boy, yeah? Which was exactly like the book, I think, or I felt in a way. But when I came to do Breakfast on Pluto, I had to tear that book to shreds and put it back together again in a different way, you know? And um, there was something... I basically had to take the spirit of the book and invent this picaresque, you know, kind of... Uh, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then form, you know, where one thing after another happens. And um, if the book is good, it's thrilling, you know? And if the book is short, it's often possible, you know? If it's, I wouldn't like to try to make a movie of War and Peace, for example. In the back, again. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, my name is John. And, you know, this is my first time watching your clip. And uh, as you're a writer, you know, when I watch the, uh, the clay, it's really interesting, you know, the pulling the lady from the water. So as you're a writer, do you have any, like, a metaphor about the lady in oh, this yeah. movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah, is yeah. your metaphor? What are you trying to, like... Oh, you'd have to see the film. <laughs> I mean, the film actually is about the place of imagination in people's lives, pure and simple, you know? And I suppose it attempts to ask the question, can people live their lives without an imaginative dimension to them? And it probably says in the end they can't, you know. If there is a metaphor in the movie, that's what it is. Thank you. Okay, here in the middle. Hi, thanks. Um, for you, uh, which came first, the writing or the filmmaking? And as far as the filmmaking, how did you get into it? For me, which came first, the writing? I, I was a novelist, you know, a short story writer before I started making films. I fell into films totally by accident, you know. I wrote a few scripts. I wrote a te television film and a small independent film. And uh, I saw when they were made, I was, I was very upset by the results, you know. And I thought, I really like doing this. I better find out how to do it myself because... You know, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, I didn't go to film school or anything like that. There was no film school in Ireland where I grew up. And um, so I kind of fell into it by accident and got obsessed by it and just, you know, taught myself. I don't think there's that much to learn about filmmaking, you know. Maybe there is about 3D filmmaking, but, you know. <laughs> but um, I don't think there... You know, I mean, I think what you have to learn is how to trust your instincts and how to trust your visual sense and how to trust your sense of storytelling, you know. And we have time for two more questions. 
as a screenwriter, um, do you uh, ever work out the beats of the story ahead of time, or does it always kind of have this organic process where it works itself out, or is it different for every project? I don't know what that term means, beats of the story. And I'm not being facetious here, sorry. I, I, I remember once some actor said that to me, the beats, and I didn't know what, the, what that meant. What, is, what does it mean? Just working out the major plot movements of the story. Oh, okay, okay. Acts, yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just try to find out, does the story want to tell itself, you know? And does the story... Has it got an organic, natural flow to it? And if it doesn't... I'm in real trouble, you know, real trouble, yeah. Right here in the third row. So um, you mentioned that you were about 60, and I was wondering, that's the age a lot of people start thinking about going into retirement if they're in different types of careers, and I was wondering, like, how you see your future career trajectory and your philosophy on working as you, you know, move past middle age and onto old age, basically. I I should have lied, lied about my age, shouldn't I? I'm not 60, believe me, I'm 38. I think you have a lot of movies left in you. You know, look, you just keep working. You know, the, the great thing, if you're, an, if, you're, if you're an artist of any kind, you know what I mean, that nobody can stop you working, you know. And um, I suppose if the world of film finance will no longer provide me opportunities to make movies, you know, I can always write a book, you know. And I keep doing that, I think. Thank you very much, sir. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, you. director Neil Jordan. The film is Undine. <laughs>